everybody. Except that one guy. To episode 291 of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Barry, it's the raccoon penis episode. We'll get to that story in just a little bit, I promise. Of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Barry Rose, are you ready for another jam-packed, fun-filled, thrilling episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry? Do you think that one guy knows who he is, too, that we're talking about him? Well, actually, there's probably more than one guy. You know, we've got uh, our fanboys. You certainly, uh, you know, Frankie is uh, one of your all-time fanboys. But we've also got the haters, Barry, on the other side of the equation. You know, they uh, talk the shit about us, talk trash. Uh, they uh, stab us in the back. They're out there. They're out there. We're, we're aware that they're out there, and they are out there. But, Jeff... At least we have each other, me, you, and Lou. So we can all be grateful for that. Let's do a big bro hug. I'll bring it in, boys. Bring, bring it, it in. in. Okay. So on this particular episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin, our match of the week, we are going to Yokohama, Japan. It is a mid-70s look at Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race in a match that took place in the rings of all Japan wrestling from Yokohama, Japan, uh, we will have discussion about that. Besides that, Barry, we will have some Florida man or not, including the raccoon penis story. More on that later. Uh, plus, we offer top 10 classic breakup songs from classic rock songs. Uh, that's a fun-filled discussion. So, Barry, before we get to our match of the weekend, the other stuff, wanted to do a little rapid fire. I haven't done rapid fire in a while, Barry. Are you ready rapid to do fire. a little rapid fire? Okay. That's pretty cool, yeah. I love the uh, the vocal inclinations that I have there. So, Barry, first rapid-fire questions. Barry, reportedly, AEW with 60,000 at the time of this recording ticket requests for its show coming up in London, England. Barry Rose, 60,000 ticket request is blank to you. It, it's crazy to me. And I got to tell you, first off, I'm thrilled that they're able to do it. I, I have watched multiple Facebook groups where they predicted that this would draw 10,000 and this is going to crash and be a holy fucking disaster. They're, they're putting a different spin on it now. These tickets that have been sold are being sold by relatives of people that are associated. It's like every fucking excuse known to man. I'm so excited. Look, if anything in wrestling does well as a fan, we all win. And that's how I've always looked at it. If, you know, there was a WWE card this past weekend, Jeff in Puerto Rico. I think reviews were a little mixed, but on the island of Puerto Rico, you would have thought, you know, Jesus just came down. And, you know, it was, I watched a few minutes of it. It was absolutely mind boggling and such an electric atmosphere that we rarely see in this country. Point being, if there's success in wrestling, it's only good for wrestling. That's great. And as wrestling fans, we should be excited for everybody. We should not be hoping that people fail. That's me. Uh, you know, I, I have to say, as I watched the early numbers come in, I was kind of like, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a, and then a couple of days go by and you would see the numbers increase. I'm like, wow, that's getting to be kind of amazing. And at this point, uh, at the time of recording the show, 60,000 plus, uh, whether it's ticket request, inquiries or whatever is absolutely mind blowing to me. You know, we're talking about a non WWE show and credit words do the WWE has always been a big draw in the UK, but the fact that 
AEW, who, by the way, have not yet mentioned what any of the matches are, and that's also part of the incredible nature of this, has got this many ticket requests, absolutely blows my mind, and they haven't even said, well, it's going to be this guy versus this guy, uh, you know, a 60-minute uh, Iron Man match, N- nothing. It's just they are strictly drawing this uh, much attention because of the interest of the fans in the UK, special salute to them, because of the interest, let's be honest, in wrestling, and in the interest in AEW for their first ever appearance. And since Tony Khan is uh, and his dad are one of the owners of one of the uh, the teams, uh, one of the football uh, clubs out there, that's got to be especially gratifying to them to know that they're, you know, that Tony's business product here has drawn this kind of attention and and this sort of uh, you know a financial interest. Uh, I think Tony, uh, if you don't mind me saying, has to be going to dad and going, well, dad, guess what? Uh, This little business venture of mine appears to finally be paying off uh, to some extent. It still has its issues. I'm not going to completely give him a pass. But, you know, if this thing, let's be honest, had shit the bed, if they were like, you know, having uh, 10,000 people there, while 10,000 people would be nice for the cost of the stadium and all that kind of stuff, this would not be any kind of financial windfall where now – I got to think that Tony's dad is like, wow, maybe my son was onto something here. And so I think we should give them some kudos. Uh, you know, again, much like Barry, I, I don't sit there and wish that the WWE would fail because there are, you know, spots in wrestling for more people with the WWE. There are spots for more people with AEW. And, you know, there are spots for Javorsky's company that he alone watches. You know, business being good is good for the sport of professional wrestling here. A hundred percent, too. Actually, Jeff, as you bring up Impact, are you aware of the current Impact world champion? I can promise you I am not. His name is Steve Macklin. And that buzz you heard is from the listeners going, who is Steve Macklin? Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know. I've never seen him work, or but I, I was reading. I'm sure it. Javorski has a best of Steve Macklin videotape somewhere in his house. Yeah, that he, that he he knows when to stop and freeze frame. To yeah, I hear you with that too. So it is though. It, you know, it's odd in that people do want to see, and I, I'm not sure why. Like I'm not sure, you know. Who Tony Khan has killed, et cetera. But the, the people, you know, and Vince has done a million times worse than the Tony Khan. I'm not sure what Tony Khan's ever even done that was a negative. He, yeah, he makes a lot of mistakes and I'm, I'm guessing that's where the hate comes from. But you know, what Vince has done and what Vince continues to do and what's well documented that Vince has done, that's the condemnation that should be coming from fans and not Tony Khan, who by all accounts is a bit of a mark, but at the same time, he's trying to bring forth a product that people want to see. Look, recent ROH tapings, Jeff, Zack Sabre Jr. was there, which yeah. gives me hope that this show in at Wembley is going to be incredible. He's going to pull guys from England. He is going to pull guys from New Japan. He's going to use the ROH and AEW roster. And look, whether you like AEW or dislike it, you can't argue with the fact that whenever they put on a pay-per-view, everyone walks away saying, wow, what a great fucking pay-per-view that was. Well, and, you know, let me just say this and we'll wrap up the AEW, uh, at least this part of it. You know, when the card was originally announced, I reached out to friend of the show, Alan uh, Blackstock, and I asked him, I said, do you think for them to draw a, a legitimately big house, because I had no idea what they were going to draw at that point, do they need to use 
a wrestler from the UK, a Will Ospreay, uh, somebody like that, that has a certain reputation in that. And my thinking was part of what made Brett versus Davy Boy such a big draw and a big, uh, you know, attraction for Vince back, what was that about 92, something like that? was the fact that you had local boy Davy Boy Smith going after the world championship. And that was an plus the whole family dynamic, but that was an incredible draw. And so, you know, yeah, hold on one second. Snaps decided to chew the bone here yeah. on the broadcast. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I thought maybe that's the kind of thing that Tony would be looking at. So again, there's the possibility that maybe Will Ospreay will be on the card. Maybe Kazuchika Okada from New Japan will be on the card. Well, you've got the uh, potential of an Omega versus CM Punk match. You've got Omega versus Osprey. There's all these different variables of matches that you don't know about yet. And that, again, let me say it one more time. The fact they haven't even mentioned what any of the fucking matches are is completely astounding to me. Anyway, next rapid fire. Let's go away from wrestling for a second, Barry. Heard this on another podcast. Thought it was an interesting question. Barry Rose, sports fan, not just wrestling fan, sports right. fan. Who are three guys in sports, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, football, hockey, whatever, that you will never, ever root for? Oh, three guys in any sport that and I... And honestly, I'll, I'll put it out there. It could be a guy that is not uh currently active. It could be somebody that's retired that you th- remember. Like, oh, I was never going to root for that guy, uh, you know, when I was a, a fan of uh, such, such and such a team. Yeah, uh I guess Reggie Miller, though I obviously learned to love Reggie Miller in later, but he was such Even though a- he kind of rebuffed you as a... uh Oh, he 100% rebuffed me and just couldn't give a shit with what I was saying. But so much respect for what he did. And look, he was – Reggie was – it was Reggie and Spike Lee that essentially ignited this whole feud between the Indiana Pacers and the Knicks. I would never – could have never cheered. I'll tell you a guy – this is a tough question to answer, by the way. Latrell Sprewell, when – if you remember Latrell, and of course you do, Jeff. Spree. Spree, and and you're a – you're a sports maven in a sense – Latrell was with uh Golden State, I believe, right? And he was at Golden State and he choked his coach, which I believe at the time was PJ Carlissimo. Yeah. And uh he choked him and was then banned and uh you know, he couldn't play and it just, you know, but you look, it was, he literally was choking the life out of his coach until he was, you know, and I said, what, wow, fucking unbelievable. And, and while I, I know PJ, you know, has detractors and maybe rightly so, he can be, could have been, I don't know, you know, I don't know if he's even coaching anymore at his age, but he, he had a very rough style. He was very, wasn't loved by a lot of players, very much a black and white type of guy so i was like fuck latrell well he became a nick and i embraced this guy like no one's business <laughs> right so i i gotta say if they you hate them and then they come play for your team and and you're like oh you know wow it's totally different i i don't know if i truly hate anyone or if i did you know but i i don't well, know it's not so much that you hate them you would never root for them how about that yeah, like if Reggie said, Miller yeah. had become a, a New York Nick, would I still you? would have rooted. I absolutely would have okay, rooted. So, so in other words, the name on the front of the jersey more important than the name on the back of the jersey. I, I in most case, I, there's. I, I'll, I'll give you one, okay. and this is a big one. Michael Vick, and you know why? 
Okay. No, that's, and that's fair. Yeah. So I'll tell, I'll tell you a guy that I will. And I was living here when Michael Vick was here. Yeah. Was, was, and I got to tell you, even though I, you know, I didn't care about the Eagles, I still could not, and I never will is support Michael Vick. And I get, you know, what bothers me more, and I'm sorry, Jeff, but you opened up this door. That's okay. Yeah. What bothers me more were people with the justifications on Michael Vick. And yeah. that is, and that, that goes along with it, kind of like what I'm saying about Spreewell. You could hate Michael Vick, but then if he plays for your team, well, he's not such a bad guy. Yeah, he exactly. paid his dues, Jeff. He paid his dues and he was in jail, right? And all this other shit. If you don't know what Michael Vick was doing, I encourage you, Google it and Google deep. And then if you are, have any sort of compassion or any sort of human being, hopefully you'll be as disgusted as I was. Well, I'll get on to, uh, to my uh, guy that I was thinking of in a, in a second. The, the problem that I had with Michael Vick, and first of all, an incredible football player, okay? Just just an amazing, amazing talent. But the problem that I had with that story, even more so than the fact that uh, what he was convicted of doing was this was not just a random uh, hey, uh, this dog doesn't uh, mean anything to me. He's not making money for me. Here. Boom, I kill him. I'm done with him. No, there was torture involved. He yes. did not just kill the animals. He tortured them. And that's the problem I have. Quite frankly, if you have a problem with uh, Barry and I feeling that way about him, maybe there's another podcast that you want to check out. I don't know. Uh, I will tell you, though, and in no way is this guy anywhere near as extreme of an example as that. A guy that I will never root for is Jerry Jones. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why I, I'm not like <clears throat> Barry. Some listeners of this fine podcast who, uh, are somewhat, um, sociopathic in their hatred of the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I may have to, uh, in a, if there's ever down the road, a fan fest, uh, you know, if, if it's ever revived, uh, and there's a, uh, an onslaught of fans of this fine show that come down. Uh, I may have to wear a Dallas Cowboys jersey just, <laughs> just, just to piss off people. But anyway, right. I, I don't necessarily hate the Cowboys like that. But Jerry Jones, I really, really dislike this fucking guy. And part of the reason I dislike the guy, as much as I was not a fan of Jimmy Johnson for a lot of reasons, because, you know, he was the Miami coach during the Notre sure. Dame Miami thing. Uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson went there. He fucking built that organization from the absolute dregs. They won a couple Super Bowls and stuff like that. And Jerry Jones gets pissed off when people want to credit Jimmy Johnson for that because he wants people to say, oh, no, Jerry, it was you. You were the owner slash GM, which is another whole story about why I hate him. But the fact that this fucking billionaire somehow got himself into the Professional Football Hall of Fame. Why? Why is this guy in the fucking Hall of Fame? This guy who's a billionaire but has bad teeth and a bad fucking rug. I'm sorry, you got that much money? Get a better fucking wig and get your teeth fixed, old man, okay? But he's got all this money. Somehow he gets in the Hall of Fame, other than the fact that, credit words do, he built a great stadium that's uh, been, I think it's been home to WrestleMania at this point at least once. It's, I think it's had a Super Bowl there. It's mostly a magnificent facility. But guess what? There are other owners in the league that have built, uh, you know, stadiums. Uh, Joe Robbie, with his own fucking money, built uh, Joe Robbie Stadium slash Pro Player Stadium slash what the hell is it now? I don't know. But he used his own money, pretty much bankrupted himself 
to get the Dolphins a stadium. I'm not a Dolphins fan, but I got a lot of respect for the fact Joe Robbie spent his own fucking money to do that. So why isn't based on that? Why isn't Joe Robbie in the Hall of Fame? Why isn't uh, the guy, uh, you know, for other teams that have built stadiums? And of course, eh, I will just say probably 95 percent of the uh, owners of sports out there, they don't want to spend their own money to build, uh, you know, their arena, their stadium, whatever. They want the taxpayers to pay for that shit. I'm going a little rant here, Barry. But, you know, so Jerry Jones built a stadium that's a beautiful facility. Congratulations. Why did that put him in the Hall of Fame? Because it's not like he was the one that was the reason those Cowboys won two Super Bowls in the 90s. Because, quite frankly, as certain fans will tell you, the Cowboys have not been back to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, since that time era frame. Uh, you know, so exactly what is it that Jerry Jones is doing that's so fucking magnificent and brilliant that should entitle him to be in the Professional Football Hall of Fame, Barry? Now, all right, let's go to the next one. Last rapid-fire question, Barry. Barry Rose, I want you to take out of the equation your fandom of particular teams. I know you're a Knicks fan, so taking the Knicks uh, out of this equation, okay, uh, taking out your newly found love of the Philadelphia Phillies and the Eagles and other teams. Okay. So you have to take those out of the equation. Okay. Barry Rose, tell me a bucket list item for sports that you would like to attend. So in other words, what I'm saying is if it's a Super Bowl, don't say I want to go see the Eagles in the Super Bowl or I want to see the Phillies in the World Series or the Knicks sure. in the NBA finals. So your team is not in that uh, particular scenario, but Maybe it's an NBA Finals or it's a Super Bowl or a World Series, something like that. Because you've never been to one of those, what's one that you'd like to go see? Or it can be another sport. Well, the NBA, and I, I was at the NBA Finals when the okay, Knicks so were take there. that out of the equation. No, no, but but to that, I had to work, and uh, and I don't know if I ever told you this story, and I may have, but I had a friend that was a vendor at the Garden, and for uh, the NBA Finals, which at the same time the NHL, the Stanley Cup Finals were taking place in '94, I became a vendor for about two weeks, and then I quit right after. I got a hat. I got to get in for the games, uh, and I was a vendor and I had fun doing. I made a little bit of money, tiny bit, but it was a lot of fun. I would like to though, loving the NBA the way that I do, even though my Knicks and Sixers, though the Sixers won last night, it, it was still, that was a tough game. Uh, and I think we're all tied up now. Knicks are, Knicks got a prayer. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Let me put a little pause on you there. Your teams are not part of this equation. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It would be, uh, no, I was just trying to say I was at the NBA finals. And to that, I wasn't able to truly enjoy it because I actually had to do shit during the games. Uh, but I was happy to be in the building. I think if you're giving me courtside in the front row, a great seat for NBA finals and maybe I'm getting two or three games, you know, locally, that that would be probably the biggest thing. And I, I think, you know, you're more of a four football guy. I would assume Super Bowl would be your your Super Bowl. Well, no, actually, it's not. Thank you very kindly. Oh, right. Because I actually have been to a Super Bowl before. What? I was also working as a vendor for the Super Bowl between the 49ers and San Diego Chargers. I want to see it was 94, 95, same time period you were talking about. So since that, uh, you know, and I was a vendor, but uh, we uh, finished up early. So like pretty much most of the third and fourth quarter, I got to go out and watch the game uh, because it was kind of a blowout and people had started to leave early. So taking that out of the equation, by the way, did I ever tell you, I was thinking about this the other day, my dad went to Super Bowl five between the Colts and the Cowboys, uh, it was 1970, it was the one that was 
one with a field goal in the last second by the Colts. My dad, we lived in Key West, and my dad had gotten tickets because, let's be honest, 1970, the Super Bowl was not the event it is now by any stretch of the imagination, and uh, good seats were still available at the last minute. My dad was able to go up with a buddy of his, and I was thought it was kind of cool that my dad got to see one of the very first Super Bowls. No, I guess what I was talking about, you know, like uh, we recently had the Kentucky Derby over the weekend. And here in Georgia, within the last few weeks, we had the Masters. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be a uh, a golf guy or you're a horse racing guy, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not a car racing guy. But I had a chance once back in like 80 or 81. I went to the Daytona 500 with, uh, with some friends. That was kind of a cool thing to do. You know, I, I have no interest in going back and seeing it again. But it was a neat experience to be part of the spectacle of that event. I think it would be pretty cool to go watch the last round of the Masters, get a nice seat maybe on the 18th hole. Again, it's not like I'm a huge golf guy, but I think that's like one of those things that every year is a huge deal in sports. That would be kind of cool. I wouldn't mind going seeing uh, Game 7 of the NHL playoffs somewhere, you know, even if my team was not in it. I think it would be cool to see it, just to see the spectacle of a Game 7, you know, between, uh, you know, two great teams. That's the kind of thing I talked, you know, was talking about. I think that would be lots of fun. But, you know, you, to your point, you know, if you can get rings, you know, courtside, I'm sorry, uh, at the NBA Finals, uh, you know, that would be fun, too. So now, all that being said, what is your bucket list item for sports? What would you like to see? And that you haven't seen before, and that does not involve your favorite team, by the way. And also, who's a guy in sports that you will never root for? I've got a feeling we've got one or two guys in the group, Barry, that might also say Jerry Jones. <coughs> no names, of course. <laughs> now, that being said, Barry Rose, how about we talk a little match of the week? Barry, it's time for our match of the week, and we are going to Yokohama, Japan. No, it's not Jumbo Saruta. No, it is not Chigusa Nagoyo. It's nobody from New Japan. Barry Rose in Yokohama, Japan on December 6, 1975. We have the American Dream, Million Dollar Smile, Man of the Hour, Too Sweet to Be Sad, Dusty Rhodes. Taking on the NWA World Champion, Harley Race, the greatest wrestler on God's green earth. You've had a chance to watch this match, Barry. What'd you think about it? It was a 60 minute classic. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. And I, Jeff, I got to make a slight correction. Harley Race was not the NWA what? World's heavyweight. Son champion. of a bitch. How dare you correct me? I know. So let's, why don't we put this in a little bit of context as well? So this match taking place December the 6th, 1975 in only four days after this match takes place, which would be December the 10th, 1975. The great Terry Funk defeated Jack Briscoe for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship in Miami Beach, where a 12-year-old Barry Rose saw what I consider the most important match I ever saw live for the various reasons, you know, that you could figure out. But with that, these two really had only come to know each other within the last year. And certainly, if I was to, in my head, if you were to say, who did you see which world champion did you see defend the title the most? I would in in person live. I would say Harley Race. Hold on one and second, the, Barry. Wait a minute, I'm getting a question from on. one of the listeners. Okay, uh, Barry, which world champion did you see most often uh, during his title runs? I have to say, was this a, is this from a Patreon subscriber? Yeah, I believe it is. Yes. All right, so I saw Harley Race. Thank you. A good and answer. 
Yeah, and the the champion I would have seen most, uh, the challenger actually, would have been Dusty Rhodes. So having seen these two multiple times, really from 1977 till probably 1981, these two wrestled each other, you know, it, hundreds of times in the state of Florida. Dusty was the number one challenger for forever, essentially. But they had really, I don't think they had worked a lot of territories together uh until earlier that year when Harley took over the book in Florida. Harley took over the book because one of your personal favorites, the great Bobby Shane, had been in a uh, a plane crash where he had lost his life. So Bobby had only been the booker two weeks, I believe, maybe even less. And they called an audible and they brought in Harley Race. I thought, my own opinion, I thought Harley did a tremendous job. And I think partly I'm probably looking at that through 11-year-old glasses as well. But I got to tell you, the the talent that we saw, I thought they did a great job. And the interesting thing was Harley didn't necessarily book himself against Dusty all the time. And Dusty at this stage... Top baby face in, in Florida, maybe top baby face in the country. It had been baby face since May. Uh, we're actually, we're 49 years right now as we're actually recording this. So, uh, so these two knew each other. They had worked together a bunch of times in Florida, but not, it hardly wasn't the main guy. Dusty was working more with Roop, King Curtis, and some other guys. Uh, so Harley, you know, Harley working more with Cyclone Negro, but there was some context there. I think Harley had already finished up. Dusty, obviously, biggest star possibly in the U.S. Certainly, I would say top three. And let, I'll ask you, Jeff, top three in 1975, besides Andre and maybe Bruno, who's a bigger baby face in this country? Hmm. Territorially speaking, uh, if you're going national, that, that top three is a pretty safe bet. You know, I was just thinking like, uh, how over Vern was in the Midwest. Uh, you know, you had guys like, you know, Dick the Bruiser was still, you, you know, at that point was, was pretty incredibly over. I don't know if either Vern or Dick the Bruiser though would have been as over. You're correct as, as Dusty was. Uh, and Dusty wasn't just over in Florida. Dusty was working New York. He was working, uh, uh, he would go to work to big shows in Louisiana at the Superdome when, uh, or in, in New Orleans when they would have cards there. So yeah, he was, he was, uh, pretty much over everywhere he went. No question about it. He really was too. And I think territorially, you can make a case for a lot of guys. Lawler wasn't at that stage. I think he was probably still a heel in 75, but there, you can make a case if you're going to go territory to territory. But I do think on a national level, I, I'm hard pressed to think, you know, Bruno obviously, you know, certainly the magazines played a huge part in that. Andre was a traveling exhibit. He was a traveling show. Uh, but Dusty was huge. And as you pointed out, Dusty was really one of the first guys of the modern era, and I, I don't always know enough about the 50s or 40s to tell you, but in the modern era of the 70s, Dusty would headline Wednesday night, Miami Beach, Thursday night, Jacksonville, Friday, he's probably in Atlanta headlining, Saturday, maybe he's off to St. Louis, then Monday, he's in Madison Square Garden. So he wasn't just, and he was, he spent time in the AWA as a baby face too. So this wasn't a guy that was popping. This was a guy that was literally in the main event in different, not just territories, promotions, whether it was the WWWF, AWA, or any of the NWA territories. To me, Dusty 
really had the world by the balls. And, you know, I read an article the other day and an article is not giving it is not the right word, but there was something. And I, I want to say it, it was a, an article that it populated on Facebook and it was talking about Dusty, how uh, prior to, I guess, going to the Federation as a trainer, he had lost all of his money. This would be after Crockett. He had lost all of his money and basically didn't have any money. And there was nothing left. And I'm, I'm, you know, in my head, I'm going, how is that possible when this was arguably the most in demand professional wrestler? Certainly with Crockett, this guy was, I'm going to assume was a millionaire, if not. And I realize bad decisions, uh, were made a plenty, uh, if for him to lose all that much money. But that was kind of shocking with that, Jeff talk, getting back to this match, which I don't think I've even gotten on. It is, uh, well, it's not a good match. And I'll say that from the standpoint that this is not a Dusty Rhodes Harley race classic in this country. This is, they're working, a, they're, they're attempting to work a style that would be a little different and that would maybe appeal to the Japanese audiences. And it, it's kind of like when I'm watching this match and I watched it twice. I really wanted to dig in and see, uh, you know, exactly what this match Quality was. research, Barry. Quality research. Only the best when it comes to our listeners. Well, we, you know, they demand it, Jeff. We deliver, right, all the time. But it, it's almost like somebody had a conversation with Dusty five minutes before going out to the ring. And here he's a little subdued for Dusty. He's subdued. There are still the moments of the elbow and the, there's a moment in here where he starts to do the dusty comeback, the shucking and jiving that he did. And literally you could have heard a mouse fart in church. The Japanese have zero time for the dusty shtick. They want nothing to do with it. And hardly, I don't think it achieved legendary status over there yet. Certainly, I think that was coming in later years, but, uh, they were, the Japanese always well versed and well educated on the history of pro wrestling, well aware that Harley was a former NWA world's heavyweight champion. But with that, it, it's a very odd clash here because the first I don't know, three minutes of the match. It's literally a dusty roadside headlock where he's got Harley in the headlock. They do some other stuff. They wind up back in this headlock and, and I'm not going to get, well, I, you know, I will give away the ending because this match is 49 fucking years old, but it, it dusty does first dusty takes the clean pinfall. So that right there, I'm going to assume there, there may be nobody listening to this podcast that's ever seen dusty in a non-controversial clean pinfall. It, they did no that, ref bump, no ref no, bump, nothing. I mean, let's be honest. There's, I think it's a, it's the Harley race head drop, head, headbutt off the top rope. And Dusty does the one, two, three. And it's very bizarre. The crowd, again, this crowd, they're not into this. They are not into this. And this is interesting because I do wonder. We're looking back, obviously, 49 years later and we're looking, hindsight's always going to give us the best vision. What what was the mindset in that is Dusty Rhodes' shtick going to play over in Japan? And certainly, Dusty was not a big star in Japan. I don't know how many trips he made, 
but he was not a big star. And this match is a great indication why, because the fans don't want to see the shuffling of the feet, the, the shucking and jiving. They're not vested in Dusty about, you know, what's, what's Dusty going to stay? You know, I, I represent the poor Japanese man, right? You know, <laughs> exactly, right? Like, it's just not going to play. It's not going to do it. And the truth is, Dusty's shtick, especially in this country, was predicated on Dusty giving a great promo and, and drawing fans in so they gave a shit. Uh, and clearly that did not happen here. Excellent I would use say, the word predicated, by the way. Well, you know, exactly. Uh, it, <laughs> cunning linguist, you. Cunning linguist. I will say this is not a good match at all. This is, if I, this is a, if we're going on five stars, this might be a two star match, but you're going to see a Dusty that you may never – he's subdued. He literally – I saw Dusty as a heel, and he was a fucking house of fire. This is a Dusty that's really subdued. The ending is going to maybe catch you off guard. And I think in some ways, if you consider yourself a fan of Dusty Harley, Japanese wrestling, or even pro wrestling in general, you should watch this match because it is highly unusual. With it, Jeff, we can't say this was a good match, though. Well. Here's the thing. When I first decided to take a look at this match, one of the things that struck me, uh, and you absolutely referenced it there, is that this is the rare opportunity to see Dusty doing a clean, a clean pinfall. Okay. Which to me, that's immediately like, Oh, you know, uh, is this like some of the great matches, uh, that they, you know, like uh, up there in the pantheon of great Harley versus Dusty matches? No, no, but. Let's be honest. These two, much like Dusty and Flair, they're, they could go in there in their sleep and do a match yep. because they had done the match so often. So it's not like you're going to have this 45 minute throwdown with these guys. Uh, it kind of is what it is. So to me, what's interesting about the match is first of all, you have Dusty at the height of his popularity doing a clean pinfall. Okay. Uh, you have, first of all, long hair, dusty, crew cut, bleach blonde Harley, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, what's interesting to me, when I think of dusty in Japan, I think of his stuff in the early eighties in new Japan, you know, when he was in new Japan with Hogan and, uh, I think Hanson might've even been there and Andre, there's stuff out there with dusty in new Japan. I didn't really know that dusty had, you know, spent any time in all Japan rings. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you do not see the traditional blue and orange All Japan mat that is so familiar to anybody that's watched any of the All Japan stuff from the earlys and into the 90s with the Kings Road style. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Race to me, uh, for having a rep as being the toughest man uh, alive and all this kind of stuff. You know, the, the Harley race that you saw in the late 70s and into the early 80s. He was getting a bit of a beer gut on him. Let's be honest. Absolutely. Plus, he had the curly hair, the big mutton chops and stuff like that. Uh, but here, I wasn't expecting Harley to look a little pudgy. I got to be honest with you. You know, uh, he had he had that uh, beer gut, a foreman, if you will. Uh, maybe he was in the first trimester. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dusty, on the other hand, Harley's going to come back from the grave and kick your ass. <laughs> yes. You know that's how fucking tough Harley was. He, he's coming back he from is, the dead. You know, paintbrush my face. I have yes. no doubt about it. Uh, but on the other hand, Dusty, while he still has that dusty gut, this is not the dusty gut of 1985 by any. He was in pretty damn good shape for him here. 
Yep. Uh, you know, and, and again, I like the fact that this is not a match featuring two guys who have a zillion tattoos like we uh, saw for so long in the pro wrestling business. So you mentioned that uh, Harley goes over clean with the uh, the flying headbutt. However, what you did not mention is if you watch the flying headbutt, it's the devastating maneuver where it's the headbutt to Dusty's shoulder. Which right. That could in, incapacitate any man, you know. Uh, he apparently misses the misses the spot and hits Dusty in the shoulder, but he still gets the uh, the win. Thought it was kind of interesting. I don't know if you noticed that uh, Harley at some point in this match got a little mouse under the eye. Yeah, a little blood. Yeah, Dusty got a little snug and hit him on, underneath the eye, and he got a little blood going. So I'm we'll take issue with one thing you said. Okay. I don't think that the Japanese fans for the entirety of the match. We're doing the proverbial sitting on the hands. There was a moment when Dusty kind of went out there and sort of like did the thing where he started pump, trying to pump the crowd up, you know, any Michael P.S. Hayes kind of way where he began to foot stomping. Oh God, I used to hate that very, but, and the crowd for a moment sort of reacted to him. Was it like a CWF crowd in 1975 reacting to Dusty? No. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to say that, but there was a, uh, the proverbial brief moment in time where they sort of reacted to him because he was trying to reach out and get them to react. Don't know if you noticed Barry at ringside, you mentioned, oh, maybe Dusty had a conversation with somebody and yay at ringside. We had Jim Barnett. And as I wrote here on the notes, the original lordship. Lord James Blears sitting at yes. ringside. Did you notice that? I did, and I got to say, I noticed Barnett first, and then I think to his right uh, was was Lord James Blear. Jim Jim Barnett though is great because he stands out in any crowd. He's got those big, almost Swifty Lazar type glasses on. Yep. Uh, he's got that kind of mop of hair, and then he's got a wide lapel suit on. So, yeah, it was really funny uh, seeing Jim Barnett there. And I'm assuming that was all part of Dusty being over there as well. Again, Dusty, I would say, without a doubt, Dusty was probably the hottest star in the NWA at that time. There's probably a reason that Jim Barnett's there. That That's probably it. I'm going to say this is not uh, when Jim Barnett was the uh, president of the NWA. He might have. Was this when he was still in Australia, you think? 75. He was I, – I don't know if he was Australia or if he was in Atlanta at that time. All right. I thought and maybe – In Atlanta, also working Florida because Jim Barnett at one point apparently had, had points in Florida also. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to post a link to this match. Uh, I think it's an interesting time capsule look at – a Dusty Rhodes that at this point in his career was still in pretty damn good shape for Dusty uh, and uh, Harley Race with that blonde crew cut looking like he could be a villain and in some sort of Hollywood movie. Uh, just a great deadpan stare at Dusty at the beginning of the match. Uh, I really like that. So we'll post a link to that. Uh, as we like to say, is this Masawa Kobashi? No, it's not. But it's an interesting uh, look at good Lord Barry almost 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, seeing Harley Race and Dusty Rose, uh, Dusty with that long hair, hadn't got the, uh, the, the kind of the, uh, the bleach blonde afro yet, has it hanging down in his face. And, uh, it's kind of an interesting way to see the Japanese fans react to Dusty. So we'll post a link to this in our group, uh, Breaking Cafe with Bounder and Barry, and we hope you check it out. It is a short, uh, what is it, like 11, 12 minutes max, Bear? Max, yeah. Yeah, max. So, uh, so check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Barry, they know it. They love it. They can't do without it. It's Florida man or not. Are you prepared for a deep dive? Absolutely not.
<clears throat> that means uh, you're, as usual, ready to go. Barry, the headline reads, Man admits performing sex act while kneeling over captured seagull. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, because that's uh, they the two go together. A man who admitted performing a sex act while kneeling over a captured seagull and watching pornography on his mobile phone. Uh, it's not my traditional go-to, but you know, Barry, uh, you know, other people. Who are we to judge, Jeff? Exactly, exactly. Yes. So, uh, uh, da- uh, David Lee, forty, admitted causing unnecessary suffering to the bird. Now, by the way, Barry, let, let me just say, oh, of course, <laughs> I am not someone that is an any way, shape, or form in favor of any kind of cruelty to animals. Uh, usually, uh, I would say just fucking beat the shit out of the guy uh, at this point. But it's a seagull, and it makes the story kind of uh, weirdly amusing. Gulls on the roof of uh, the courthouse could be could be heard calling out as the bench watched uh, closed-circuit TV of the, quote, bizarre incident, which happened in a back street. Uh, Leslie Burgess, a prosecutor, chased one bird before picking up a smaller gull, which was captured on closed-circuit television, looking at his phone while holding the bird between his legs and engaging, I'll just uh, paraphrase here, Barry, in masturbatory activity. (laughs) Once he had finished, he pulled up his pants and gave the bird, quote, a little kick. Uh, He was then arrested uh, and told... The police had picked up the goal because he thought it was hurt and was looking on his phone to find out how what he should do. Barry Rose, it's porno, it's seagulls, it's masturbation. Is it Florida man or not, though? So this guy, just so I'm correct, he's out in the open. He's a 40-year-old guy named David Lee. He's got... Might be a relative of... John. Of John Lee from Wales? <laughs> you never know. It you don't. could be a stretch, but who knows? It could. So it, so the guy, he's he's outside. There is a seagull. He is watching porn on his phone, and he's jerking off over the seagull. You know. I, wow. I always say, Barry, just when you think the bar has been raised or lowered – to uh, a level that you'd never heard of before, along comes this story, Barry. It's always like, you know, it, we all think that we're a little, I'm assuming, we all think that we're a little strange at times, that maybe we've got these little quirks. Perversions, that, if you will. Perversion. Look, it, there's not, we all, everybody likes something that may not be it's socially accepted or in the mainstream and we view it. But I got to say, this this is different. Uh, jerking off to a seagull. Uh, Barry, would you be in favor of a panel discussion on this topic at the next? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've been looking to crowbar in one more segment. So yeah, I think, I think this could be it. Everyone just, in attendance can go up and sit at the table and discuss their, their own particular perversion. Yeah, this should be I, fun. Who's going first? Who will, <laughs> <laughs> who's the first one to go? Let's see if William Merriweather is no, there. No, no, you know what you, you know what we could do? Uh, this but, would make it very interesting, Barry. Yeah. If you are not a Patreon subscriber and are attending the Fan Fest, you have to go first, get up in front of the group, and tell us your perversion. Boy, that'll increase the uh, Patreon subscription. I think I think that's a Harold Strassler thing right there. Well, well, I did not mention any names. Hold on. Let me tuck my shirt in. <laughs> All right. 
me tuck my shirt. Is it like what I did there? Car shirt. Oh, I know exactly what you did. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that is funny. It is. uh, So this is bizarre. The two questions I would want to, was he watching seagull porn on his phone? And did he finish? And if he did, what was that about? And if he uh, did, quite frankly, did the seagull get off? That's what I want to know. Because, you know, he should be a willing partner that allows his partner to, uh, you know, also uh, sow their own oats, if you will. This is 2023, Jeff. It's exactly. Yes. So seagulls, if I'm thinking seagulls, I'm thinking coastal. I mean, Florida's in that. Yeah, seagulls essentially are rats with wings. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of coastal uh, states and cities, so could be Florida, could be uh, you know, could be California, could be Louisiana. It's it's possible. I uh, could be Texas. Could be so Maine. Seen, could be Maine. I've, exactly. I've seen seagulls up up here on the East Coast as well. So I guess going off that is not really great logic. I'm gonna say fuck it. This is because you got you got a guy jerking off to a seagull. This is Florida. Yeah, this is Florida. Well, Barry, I will tell you that your answer is ah, wrong. Ah. I will tell you also that mistakenly, I almost gave the answer away. What? When I said this person could be a relative of John Lee, because oh. this took place in Sunderland in the UK. John, we're going to need to know if this man was a relative of yours. Uh, come forth and uh, tell us, my brother. <clears throat> Next uh, story, Barry. I love a good headline here. Golfers get chippy over foursome slow pace of play, throwing wild kicks and punches on the course. The story continues. A round of golf turned into a brawl when two foursomes began fighting. The melee occurred near a tee box, according to a video posted on Instagram. Members, let me just get rid of some of these ads here. Members of one group started barking at another because of their pace of play. However, the foursome getting the mouthful said there wasn't much they could do, blaming the slowness on the group ahead of them. One man said, there's a group in front of us. We can't go any faster. That's when two golfers shoved one another, and after a missed kick, fists started flying. A video of the incident cuts to when it seems to be broken up, but that didn't stop one of the golfers for asking for more. Quote, bring it, bitch, he yelled. (laughs) Those golfers, well-known tough guys. What you always hear on a golf course, too. Bring it, Exactly. The camera then pans to the tee box where another pair of golfers were squared up and more punches were thrown. Once again, someone said a group ahead of everyone was the reason for the slow pace. And eventually, the fight, Barry Rose, Florida men or not. This is interesting. So there was another golf fight and there, there was this fight and I don't know where this took place, but I'm going to guess, but there was another one. There, there's a lot place. of fighting going on between the PGA and the live tour. Hey, thank you. And there is too, but there was one this week where, uh, and I read this yesterday and I actually, I didn't even read where it, where it took place. It's a different fight, but apparently some kids who lived near the golf course were somehow fucking around on the golf course or something. And one of the golfers told the kids to get out of here. And I guess the mother started screaming at the golfers. And then she said something to the effect of my husband's going to come over there and kick your asses. And the golfer said, send him over. And then I guess two or three guys hopped the fence and went over. What they didn't know, Jeff, were the, these golfers were apparently retired MMA fighters. 
Oh, my. Yeah, so it made this fight uh, extremely quick. (laughs) So as tough guys like to get tough, hopping over fences, ready to fight, apparently didn't go too well. I don't know what state that took place in. I'm going to say... I'm going to say this took place in Florida, but obviously, the, you know, golf courses could be anywhere. I kind of want to go off my logic, which I'll always explain to you, which is almost no logic. But this time of year, the weather's all over the board. I can tell you up in PA, it's been 71 day and 40 degrees the next day. So not a lot of golf, I'm assuming, up here. But Florida, I'm assuming that they're golfing. So I will say Florida. Lakeland, Florida. You got that one right. Our next headline, Barry. Rat Soup shuts down popular restaurant. Oh, my God. Health inspectors shut down a popular restaurant on Wednesday shortly after a couple claimed in a lawsuit that they found a dead rat in their takeout soup. Barry, have you ever had the experience? You are a well-known restaurant connoisseur. Excellent yes. use of the word connoisseur, Barry. Have you ever in your uh, soup or your meal found a <clears throat> foreign object, if you will, yeah, or an international you, object? If I'll you give will. you the worst example of it, too. And uh, it, it's in theory, it's not so bizarre, but I'll say 20 years. No, it's got to be longer. Zach wasn't born yet. So let's say 23 to 25 years ago. Server or uh, manager manager ordered Chinese food to be delivered. Uh, It was delivered. I was high as a kite. I'm eating it. And as I'm halfway through, there is a German cockroach dead in my food. Little extra crunch. So the first thing I did, I stopped eating the first thing, right? Well, that's good to know. That's always good. The second thing I did was immediately went to the bathroom and started to brush and rinse my mouth out like no one's business. Little now, tongue again, cleaning, if you will. Oh, well, every, gums, tongue, you, throat. I, I was deep throating the toothbrush to get so far down there, but uh, not the first I'll, time you've had something. Never mind. Well, well you know, look, right come there. on. We've all the Saturday night. Who right? amongst but, us? Exactly. Exactly. Who are we to judge? But, but with that, uh, as I like to explain my logic to you, I, I wanted to. I was thinking, what are the odds there are two roaches in this food, and that I would have eaten one? I was going to say slim, so I felt good. But then I started thinking about it, and I will tell you, this is something to think about. And I, I never gave it a lot of thought. A lot of the restaurants, the Chinese restaurants in New York, have these large metallic bowls that they keep the ingredients in. And it, noodles might be in one. There might be meat or onions in another. They'll have them, and they just grab it and just throw it and do the stir fry. What's to stop a roach from getting in any of these bowls? Absolutely nothing. So uh, I did. I never ordered from this Chinese restaurant again, uh, needless to say, but a cockroach staring at me in the middle of my food that I've eaten half of, that was pretty. The other thing there I asked was the cockroach uh, still amongst the living. It was not. Thank God it was not. My guess is it had been stir-fried as well. And that's where I kind of – it had fallen into the bowl. Somebody grabbed ingredients, stir-fried it, did years ago, also under the influence. uh, We were – I was living with this young lady in South Florida. This was probably 1985 or 86. And uh, it was, I don't know, I'll say midnight. Again, under the influence and decided to go into the kitchen. That seems to be a common theme, I will Absolutely. say. Absolutely. And uh, went into the kitchen and there were, uh, I think it was tasty cakes we had, some sort of a tasty cake item in the kitchen. 
So I walk in. I and was your, in fact, are. lady friend a tasty cake uh, bear, if you remember? She was, and she was what made it interesting. She was a Philadelphia native who was living oh in my. Florida. So she that's where tasty cakes are originated, Philadelphia. I didn't know about them at the time, but under her suggestion, we got the tasty cakes. So I go into the kitchen. I'll say it's midnight, but it's late. You know, I don't know what time it is. There's, I don't turn the lights on and I see the box and I rip it open and I immediately start shoving tasty cakes in my, my cake hole. And I probably eat three or four. As I'm doing it, I'm noticing that the packages are moving. Oh my. Figured it's time to turn on the lights and to my surprise, everything in that box was covered in ants, meaning I had just ate Probably, which, you know, big deal, but I just ate probably at least a hundred ants. So that was another one. I think I went for the tooth brushing, the mouth washing, and I had a good chuckle on myself. So yeah. Now your question, Jeff, where did this take place with a rat in the soup? Well, so, I haven't finished the story, okay. uh, the, some of the details here. Uh, inspectors reported finding rat droppings, food not being held at the correct temperature, and no trained supervisor on site, amongst other allegations. Uh, the Department of Health closed on um, the restaurant on March 15th following an inspection. Uh, no restaurant is authorized to have mice or rats on the menu. Well, that's good to know, Barry. That's good, yeah. And we are further investigating. So now, Barry Rose, Florida or not? My favorite rat story, and I, I think I've told this. Uh, Does this involve wrestling? Uh, oh, sorry. Not. Oh, hey, another now. Another uh, version of a rat. Second favorite rat story of all time. Number one being Sean Royal when he was on our podcast five years ago. <laughs> That is the greatest. But uh, one of my servers, and this was a server, he was an actor, but he had had a tour in Vietnam. And I think he had seen combat. He, this was a guy that, he's a great guy, by the way. Uh, but this was a guy that had seen shit. And he comes up and uh, he, <laughs> we, had, we had a restroom in the basement, which was primarily as a last resort. And the kitchen was in the basement, and then it was all dining in the main floor. So he took his break. He went down, and I guess he got himself ready. He was going to sit down, and when he lifted up the lid, there was, as Bad News Allen or Bad News Brown, there was a New York City sewer rat swimming around the bowl. It was about a foot long. And uh, he came up, and he told us, and I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Went down, and the kitchen staff was already there trying to get the rat. And uh, it was. It may have it looked like a small dog. And the fear, of course, is had he sat down without actually looking. Uh, that's my favorite. New York City has a massive rat problem, which I'm aware of. I want to say it's something like a 1,000 rats for every person that actually lives in New York. So it wouldn't surprise me. I personally have seen dozens of rats, if not even more. I'll say this one was New York. Barry, let me ask you, have you ever eaten in the area of New York City known as Koreatown? Absolutely, sure. Are you familiar with a Korean restaurant called Gammy Oak? That I don't I don't think so. G-A-M-M-E-E-O-K. Because if you have or were planning to you might want to hit pause on that particular. You are correct, Barry. New York City, New York, the city so nice. They named it twice. Very good guess, Barry. I am very impressed by your uh, 
your knowledge there and guessing that it was, in fact, New York City. <laughs> Next story, Barry. Teacher arrested after his mom accidentally serves pot brownies to senior citizens. Oh. See, I, I saw this headline. I'm like, right away. This is this has sure. got to be, uh, you know, a Barry Rose related story. Uh, a mother actually served her son's pot brownies to other senior citizens during a card game at a community center last week, according to authorities. Michael Coranda, 46 year old elementary school teacher, was arrested the next day and charged with possession of a controlled substance. On the evening of January 4th, the Bonhomme County Sheriff's Office started receiving calls about possible poisonings, according to the arrest affidavit. An investigation into the incident led me to believe that the patients were all under the influence of Barry THC oh. from a batch of brownies that were brought to the community center. Barry Rose, Florida man or not. This sounds like a place I'd want to uh, check out. You're, you'd be well. You're, you're getting close to that age where you are eligible to be into a senior center, Barry. <clears throat> but you know, I'm uh, not going to be judging anybody. Isn't lost on me uh, every day <laughs> that I I know that I'm as as Zach pointed out to me yesterday, Dad. You're only five and a half years away from that. So yes, the truth is, it is happening. It is on its way. Uh, hard to say with this one too. So if they're making pot, because look, we even though it's medically legal in Florida, it's not recreationally legal. But we do know people that make their own edibles and bring them to Fan Fest, and uh, we're so eternally grateful. really, really, we're is so that grateful thing? that yeah. they do that. That's a thing. I'm going to say this did not occur in Florida, though it certainly could have. I'll say it did not. Barry, this took place in South Dakota, so you are correct at oh, three wow. out of four so far. But the interesting part of the story, Barry, uh, uh, underneath the headline, it says, quote, the man said he recently bought a pound of THC butter back from Colorado. Have you ever had the occasion to try some THC butter? No, but I brought back shit from Colorado. How about well, that? Well, you know, you don't want to swear under oath to that because, of course, you might be implicating yourself. The next story, Barry, this is straight out of <clears throat> a particular wrestler that is well known to all, reportedly was a fan of this. Barry, neighbor from hell, naked man defecates on next door's glass table, next door's glass table in the middle of their porch. Do you know the particular wrestler I'm talking about, Barry? Yes, I do. I will not say his name publicly because oh, we can't play confirmer tonight. Let's just say I've heard some pretty specific rumors. Uh, Kenneth Clark Carlisle was seen fully naked while relieving himself on his neighbor's property for unknown reasons. He was caught at around 4.40 p.m. from two separate angle of the victim's home security video footage. When police responded to the scene, Carlisle was spoken to through the door of his RV camper and was still visibly naked and highly uncooperative. He is now in jail for criminal mischief, among other charges from prior incidents. Oh, oh okay. There you go. So, uh, yeah, Barry, the old defecation on the glass table. Is this Florida man or not? Mm. <sighs> Florida man. Could be somebody from New York City, right? 
what was that song? Remember those guys? What was that? Uh, that uh, <laughs> was, <laughs> I love the subtlety of your uh, your. Yeah, record. what was that? They, they remember that band? What the, what was that I, band called? I know the, exactly the, who you're talking about. But that song. I am not singing that song. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, because I think everybody's. That's it. That's it. But what was that band called? Remember, it was four. The one guy wore like a fedora or bowler's hat. They were kind oh, of. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure Sweet Lou is going to be sending us a message yeah. here in a second. Yeah, some express or I don't know. <laughs> Fucking, I have no idea. Manhattan, Manhattan transfer. transfer. <laughs> <laughs> Lou, uh, Lou always coming through right there, baby. Don't get that shit on lesser podcast, Jeff. <laughs> uh, Literally and figuratively. So yeah, uh, (laughs) I'm gonna say. By the way, I will say in almost 300 episodes, I believe that is our first reference ever to the Manhattan Transfer. Oh yeah, that's great too. And what a reference too (laughs) is. What a legacy they've left, right? Uh, I am gonna say I'm doing decent this year. Uh, this this week. Uh, let's. Uh. Oh, you having trouble over there? All right. Ever happened to you, Jeff, where your Alexa just goes on for no reason whatsoever? Uh, I don't use Alexa, but thank you oh, for asking. Yeah, yeah. She's just having a full conversation with me right now. I'm going to say that this took place in Florida. Clearwater! Woo! Florida, Barry, you are lighting it up here. <clears throat> Next story, Barry, as we continue with this elongated part two episode. The second time we've gone a little long on the Florida Man stories. Yeah. Barry, we were uh, talking about uh, various people's quirks and all that kind of stuff. I know that a former head coach of the New York football giants, uh, and by the way, this is not a spoiler alert. It's just when I saw this story, uh, I thought of him. Okay. Uh, Rex Ryan, I believe, was uh, said to have had a foot fetish, foot fetish reportedly, correct. reportedly. Yeah. Uh, and that brings me uh, to mind the next headline, passenger shamed for putting smelly feet on airplane headrest. <gasps> Just try to imagine this, Barry. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I love the uh, the creative writing here, Barry. It was a nightmare at dirty thousands feet. Oh. A passenger raised a stink online, again, very clever, after a fellow flyer <laughs> yes. allegedly used a fellow traveler's headrest as a footrest, causing a noxious odor to circulate the plane. They posted a photo of the mile-high petty crime, get it, P-E-D-I, petty crime, Barry? Yeah, I got it. In the Reddit forum uh, regarding mildly infuriating where it garnered a tsunami of disgusted responses. According to the original poster, the inconsiderate female passenger had reportedly propped their, quote, smelly feet on the headrest, unquote, during the unspecified flight, according to the photos, sh- uh, according, I'm sorry, accompanying photos show the unnamed Cretan resting their socks, uh, their sock clad trotters on the back of the fellow passenger seat like it was an in-flight ottoman. To make matters worse, the air vent was blasting right by her tootsies, which had the effect of wafting her foot funk around the plane. Well, this is some great writing here, Barry. Foot her, the, Per the sole survivor, S-O-L-E. Oh, wow. This is great stuff here, Barry. Is this post? Is this post? Yeah. The toe, the Todorifus space invasion didn't fly with the Reddit commentator. I would be the one to tell her that her feet smell and to put them away for the sake of everyone, declared one commenter. Another wrote, 
So many do not know how to behave in public, nor do they consider how their behavior impacts those around them. Just so self-absorbed. And the kids is why, and I'm sorry, and that kids is why you're not allowed to have a knife on board, quipped a third. Flying has just turned into a shit show of freaks. So, uh, first, we would want, not want to encourage that very, but no. have you experienced a nightmare of this type when you have ever flown? I don't think so. I, uh, you know, there's people that sit behind, you know, the guy who sits behind you that, has to move uh, his tray every five seconds. So you fall asleep, and he's back there fucking trying to rip the tray off the, the seat. Uh, or how about the, the guy behind you that decides to use your seat to help him stand up? Uh, again, always when you seem to fall asleep that somebody's doing that. But as far as the foot thing, that's something I'm glad. I, I will say I'm, it's much better if it's a female, if it's an attractive female. I don't think there's an issue here. But with so if that, it's an attractive female, but she's got the feet, uh, the, the feet that smell up the plane, well, I, uh, you're, no. you're going to give her a pass. Is that what you're saying? I'm not, but I, I'm also wondering, look, where did her feet truly smell? Look, maybe they did, but is this some, obviously this writing is so, uh, is so finely tuned. It, it, you know, look, if she smells, I want nothing to do with it. If she's an attractive female, it's a little bit easier. With that, people should just keep their fucking shoes on. So I was going to say, as far as uh, people that cause aggravation on the flights, uh, uh, of course, you've got the uh, the person in front of you that wants to lean their seat back into the sleep position and generally right on top of your knees. That's always a good time. Or, uh, you know, the wife and I usually always, as we're going on, we want to make sure we don't get the seat next to the crying baby. Uh, you don't want that. Uh, or the uh, the bratty kid that wants to keep kicking the seat if he's behind you keeps kicking your seat that's always a good time Barry I'm gonna I tell you what I'm gonna give you credit for a correct answer on this because right. it doesn't actually say where the incident took place I just thought uh, the lady with the uh, smelly feet on the flight was a kind of a great story so let me just check here Barry I believe we are now approaching the last item and Barry I'm gonna be Fully revealing here to you, you may have read this in the group, okay? Someone posted right. this, and, and it was also a respond. I think Chris Spiker responded and said, why the hell did you post this? You should have given us to the guys so they could talk about it. Barry Rose. Woman who stashed loaded gun in her vagina pleads guilty. That's the headline. Did you see it when it was posted? I, by the way? I did not, know. Okay, so good. A woman has been jailed after police found a loaded four-inch revolver in her vagina during a routine search. I wonder if she's had four inches in the vagina before, Barry. Uh (laughs) See what I did there? Yeah. Dallas Archer, 21, was stopped by police after speeding in her home city and was found to be driving without a license. Again, people, allow me to express driving with a suspended or uh, improper license while you're carrying, you know, a firearm, it's generally not a good idea, okay? Right. She was uh, taken to jail and a routine search being carried out, located, quote, an unknown item in her crotch. Archer, then 19, was taken by a female jailer and a police officer to the bathroom where it was identified, or was, I'm sorry, discovered that the unknown item was a loaded, it was a loaded handgun in her oh. vagina, Barry. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yes, it was found to be a 22 caliber mini revolver. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not? A loaded revolver in her vagina. 
Ooh. She's from Florida. Sure. She might be Barry, but this incident took place in a town with a wrestling connection, Barry. Uh-oh. Baltimore. Nope. Which is Kings, uh, Kingsport, Tennessee. Do you remember who the king of Kingsport was, Barry? That was Ron Wright. Yes, indeed. And that's where this incident took place. Was her Lord. last name Wright? Well, no. It, that would have been even made, made it better. Or if her last name had been Caldwell, you know, like Whitey Caldwell. Whitey Caldwell, Caldwell. yeah, sure. Yes, but uh, no. So uh, so let's see. What were you there? Four out of six, Barry? That's a pretty, that's a damn, that's that's a a pretty damn good average, yes. Yeah. Barry, just as a special surprise treat for the listeners oh. here on this last-minute recording we have two additional Florida man or not stories. I know you're always game. Barry Rose, the first one, the headline reads, I, I love a good headline, Barry. Hotel manager arrested after guests woke up to him sucking on his toes. Oh. You wake up, you're in a hotel, you wake up, and there's some dude sucking on your toes. <laughs> Memo to Rex Ryan, the former Jets head coach, who apparently was fond of that particular <clears throat> fetish. Uh, the story goes, hotel wake-up calls are provided as a service to guests upon request. <laughs> when a wake-up call takes place without being requested and by a hotel employee who is in your room, the situation has gone too far. Peter Brendan's visit to Nashville Hilton. Uh, by the way, Kim and I last year stayed in uh, in Nashville for a, for a long weekend with some friends. I'm not positive, but we may have stayed in Nashville Hilton. I, however, wow. did not get my toes sucked. What the hell did I do wrong, Barry? That's a yeah. I ask. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, Peter Brennan's visit to a Nashville Hilton a couple months ago came with one of those unexpected wake up call. The Texas man was in town for a conference for work and woke up in the early morning hours of March 30th to find an employee of the hotel sucking on his toes. Uh, <clears throat> the story continues, Barry. Uh, the employee, according to Brennan, was 52-year-old David Neal, the hotel's night manager. He apparently had gained access to the room by creating his own copy of the key card, which, by the way, Barry, can we just discuss how fucking creepy even thinking about that is? Oh, yeah. it's uh, frightening. Yeah. Uh, I was in Nashville for a work conference. I uh, said, Brennan, I woke to a gentleman, an employee of the Hilton, assaulting me. Instantly jumped up and was screaming, went into sort of a fact-finding mode. Who are you? Why are you in my room? What are you doing here? I could see he was wearing a uniform. He had his name tag on. He was talking to me, but not giving me any substantive uh, substantive answers. Easy for me to say. The hotel security guard didn't offer Brennan much help either, so he called the Metro Police Department. They launched an investigation into the matter, and a warrant was issued for Neil's arrest. He was charged with aggravated burglary, according to Brendan's attorney. This wasn't the hotel. This is part I love, Barry. This was not the hotel manager's first encounter with law enforcement. His attorney said, we found multiple crimes, felonies, prison time, court decisions. Brendan is suing Neil and Hilton over the incident. You go figure, Barry. Multiple prior felonies, and this guy's getting access to your hotel room. Wow. Florida man or not. So it, you did. You said it was Nashville. Yeah, so. I know. I fucking. I was reading the story. I went shit. I fucking just. Okay, threw that so out. I don't. But that doesn't mean that he's from Nashville. And Nashville is. There's a lot of. It's a very transient city because uh, there's so much happening. Nashville, by the way, Jeff. Since we're talking about it, I know that we have listeners, and I believe you were in Nashville. Yes. Uh, within the last couple of years, one of the most when it comes to getting a hotel. And I see these stats that come through. One of the most expensive cities in the entire country for getting a hotel. 
which is crazy. And apparently you, you, you can't, you can't build enough hotels. Uh, like people are going out to Nashville. Yeah. Crazy. What a great city though, isn't it? Well, I can tell you one of the reasons that I may have mentioned this, uh, a year or so ago when I, we, we did go visit there. Did you know that Nashville, Tennessee, for whatever reason, and of course there's lots to do there, the Opryland, all that kind of stuff, but Nashville, Tennessee is in fact the, uh, Bridal shower, you know, uh, bachelorette party, capital of the United States. Wow. Because when we went there, you would walk down. They have a street called Broadway where they have all the nightclubs, all the, you know, bars with the, uh, the different country music acts playing there. And you would see these buses, uh, with the, uh, the top, you know, the uh, top open and, uh, the women are on top, you know, in the, uh, on top of the bus drinking and waving to everybody. And it's just drunken frivolity. And I told my wife, I said, honestly, honey, if I was about 27, 28 years old and was not married, I completely would move to Nashville because, wow, there are a lot of women there being free and easy, having a drink or two. So they might, uh, you know, the inhibitions might be down a little bit, Barry. I think this is easy hookup capital of the United States. I think you're right, too, and I think that was part of what the article was. There are a lot of women in Nashville. There's a lot of great attitudes. People are happy in Nashville, and it's I, – I, they were comparing it. I guess the two hottest cities currently would be Austin, Texas, and Yes, Nashville, that's always Tennessee. a big party. Party yeah, yeah, so it, it's like these are the two cities and to get a hotel and you know, you got some great, some great schools in Nashville. You know, there's a, there's great universities. Vanderbilt. Uh, which that's one of the best schools in the country. Yep. With that, young Zachary, who has graduated college, by the way. Very but not from Vanderbilt, say, correct? Did not graduate from Vanderbilt. A lesser uh, school in the eastern part of the country. Well, lesser, you may have to fight the kid over that one, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's got, uh, he's got. Jaworski graduated from Monongahela Community College, I think. (laughs) Did he? Is that where he went? Gotcha. Any case, uh, Zach spent spring break in Nashville of all. Could have gone to, he could have gone to Florida, could have come back to beautiful, uh, you know, Sellersville, Plymouth meeting. No, he chose to go to Nashville and said, it was one of the greatest times of his life. He loved it. So, uh, yeah. Huge so anyway, just, uh, I hope he, uh, wasn't, uh, falling prey to the guy sucking toes, but that's another story for another time. Uh, now let's get on to the next. Well, Florida Man I never search. guessed though. I, oh, I, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. You Please did continue. tell me Nashville, but I was still, I'm going to say he was not a, 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 a resident of Florida. He's not a Florida guy. He, in fact, was a Nashville resident who, who I said was from Texas. So, you know, Barry, how many clues oh, can so I you fucking gave give it, you? Okay, okay, it was all out there. All right. Barry, our second story comes to us courtesy of the Lincoln County Police Department. <clears throat> and it involves food. I know one of your favorite, favorite. Oh, yeah. Topics, Barry. The Lincoln County Police Department public apology. Lincoln County PD would like to apologize to Brenda's Brunch Palace. For oh. accusations made this morning by our department, two patrolmen and one sergeant ate breakfast at Brenda's Brunch Palace today and accused the waitress of serving them raccoon feces. I love oh. a good raccoon feces for brunch, you know. Delicious. The, the officers each made Facebook posts criticizing the establishment. The suspected feces were analyzed at our lab. They brought the suspected feces to the lab, Barry. All right. And it was determined to be sausage. <clears throat> but anyway. Barry Rose, Florida man or not. So two cops go into a restaurant. 
the waitress serves them a sausage. They somehow mistake. It's a, the it was a link. It wasn't a patty. It was. <laughs> they, they're still. If it, they're was, still if it was a patty, you might have some sort of digestive issue. The sausage looked like a big a big turd, is what they're saying right here. Well, analysis uh, forthcoming at this point. All right. Uh, wow. That's, uh, that's something. You ever, yeah, since we're speaking of raccoons, have you ever seen a raccoon penis, by the way? I will bow to your better knowledge on that, my friend. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever, you gotta Google this at some point. Looks like you can go fishing with it. Uh, Google raccoon penises at Well, I can, I can just right now hear the listeners pausing this fine show so they can Google Raccoon penis. We'll uh, give everyone a moment <laughs> before they want to check back in. And Absolutely. now that they're back, please, Barry, tell us your thoughts on the raccoon penis. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like you can go fishing with it. It's all hooked. It's very bizarre looking. I'm going to say. But those female raccoons, mm, they love them some good. They, they love the <laughs> raccoon penis, though. Yes, they do. I'm going to say. This is going to be the raccoon penis episode of Breaking <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm going to say this This took place in Florida. Well, as a matter of fact, I don't know that this actually did take place. However, oh. courtesy of our old longtime listener in front of the show, Bobby Van Kevelar, oh. sent this forward to me, Barry, and I found out it's in fact from a parody account. However, this is a fucking great parody because when I first saw it, I was like, say what? <laughs> so, yes. This is good times. Bobby, thanks so much for forwarding this to me, even if it is a fake story. So, Barry, time for another top ten list. I know you and I have both suffered throughout the course of, in my case, I'm 32. You are 68 now, I think, something like that. Uh, over the years. 68 and a half. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my apologies. We've both suffered the slings and arrows of heartbreak and breakup. Barry, it's never fun being either the breaker-upper or the break-up-e. So, you know. Today, in our top ten list, we are going to be offering the top ten classic rock breakup songs. Ray Rose, your most painful breakup. Can you discuss it? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I was in love, I should say I, I was in love with a girl, at least at what I thought was love. At that stage, I was, I celebrated my 18th birthday with her, and it, I think it was the first girl that I had Deep, deep, deep feelings for. It wasn't just, uh, the, the crushes and shit like that. And, uh, she wound up breaking up with me and, uh, it really was, it really fucked me. <laughs> like on a short term, obviously, I gotta say, uh, for about six months, I was just kind of fucked with it. Like uh, I, I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand what she was doing. You know, she was playing games with me and I just don't think I was able to comprehend it at all. And it was really difficult for me to, to deal with it. I, I'm happy to say I bounced back after a few months and uh, I was absolutely fine. But initially, yeah, that, that was a, it was painful, Jeff. I, I wasn't prepared for it. I must have been so blind to what was going on that I wasn't prepared for any of this. And I don't think it came out of nowhere. I just think that's how fucking blind I was. So would you like to spill the beans on the young lady in question's first name only, please? Absolutely. Don't want any litigation, Barry. Her first name was Andrea. Bad bitch, Andrea. That's right. 
So I, on uh, that note, have revealed in a Patreon episode about the woman who broke my heart. Not once, but twice. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Those of you that are Patreon subscribers, I believe, are familiar with that story. And what a clusterfuck that was, huh, Barry? So we're presenting the top ten classic breakup songs. Let's start, Barry, at number ten. Boy, I tell you what, when this song first came out, Barry... This is one of the one of the all-time greatest fuck you songs <laughs> in the history of music. It's You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. This is a great song. So this when this Dave song Dave Coulier messed with the wrong chick. He did. Dave, well allegedly, right? Allegedly, it's, uh, I'm sorry. Apparently it's the best uh it's the most open secret in all of uh Hollywood, but apparently it was Dave Coulier and he really did mess with the wrong chick and coincidentally, I don't think we really seen a whole lot of Dave Coulier since this song came out. Uh <laughs> He's he, working at Uncle Funny's in Winnipeg now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He doesn't really come across too well in this song and uh this song while it has no personal meaning for me i was uh i was with my ex i believe when this song came out this was a great song this is alanis morissette that jagged little pill album yes might be one of the best of all time i don't that believe is- she ever had nope any sort of success coming from that again it's she's turned this into i believe what was either an off-broadway or broadway musical she just toured Last year and was the Jagged Little Pill Tour, I guess the 20 year or 25 years, whatever it's been. But this song on its own, man, it's unbelievable. So, um, the, the, one of the lines in this song is every time you speak her name, does she know how you told me you'd hold me until you died? And it's a great fucking lyric and, and the live version which is, of course, not quite so radio friendly, uh, is where she says, um, she changes the line is uh, every time you speak her name, does she know you told me uh, that you told me you'd hold me while you fucked me? <laughs> and so yeah. when you hear the live version, you got to go, oh, OK, she's fucking got the nails out and she's putting them, you know, right on to Dave. Yeah, definitely a case of Dave messing with the wrong chick. And uh, she was underage, too, wasn't she? Allegedly? I will not comment on that. I do not know if that's true or not. Uh, perhaps Lewis can do some research for us. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm sure Dave doesn't want that out there either. Yeah. Uh, Certainly, he would be the first in the history of the music industry to ever do something like that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, she literally turned this one nasty breakup and this guy dumping her for somebody else into a cottage industry, you know. So maybe that helps her get over the pain of, of losing the great Dave Coulier. Yeah, if it had been fucking Stamos, you could almost understand, you know. You understand it. Exactly. Stamos was a bit more of a player than Dave Coulier. I'm just going to yeah. say that. Next, Barry, at number nine, as we continue down our list of great classic rock breakup songs, it's Hall and Oates, Oh, I Know You Love Him, Barry, and She's Gone. Yeah, uh, boy, it, what a depressing breakup song, too. And I, I got to tell you, I remember the days, and, it, you know, I think all funny movies, I, Better Off Dead did a great job of that, Jeff, where uh, Lane Myers in the car and every song he's hearing is, you know, about, about your, the woman you love who got away or something. Of course. Like that's that. always what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's always, it, they do a really good job. And then you hear this song and this song to me is kind of the epitome of like, I just got dumped and I feel like shit. So why not play a really fucking depressing song to cheer me up? Right. This song to me is a bummer. Uh, and I'm not a fan. 
So I, I tell you, on the uh, line of thinking there, I can recall after the divorce from the very first Mrs. Bowdrin, she who shall not be named. Wait, hold uh, on, I got to do Steiner math here. Wait, first one. Okay, thank you very kindly on that one. Yes, sorry. Shall we discuss your past uh, uh, romantic? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, not. I'll have my nails done now, Barry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so anyway, that's a big kayfabe story right there. That is. Um, I. When I was uh, divorcing the first Mrs. Bowdrin, that is when the Bruce Springsteen album, uh, was it, uh, with, with Tunnel of Love, uh, fuck, I can't remember the name of the album, uh, maybe Luke can look that up, for me. but it, it came out like in 1987, and it was right after Springsteen had broken up with Julianne Phillips, so literally every song on the album is, is just like, oh, my fucking woman left me, I'm miserable, and I'm driving, uh, up to the panhandle, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing listening to this CD? This is not helping me at all. This is not like, you know, like it's a sunshine day with the Brady Bunch or, you know, or walking on sunshine, Katrina and the waves, which is what I probably needed. But no, I decided to listen to fucking depressing Bruce Springsteen. That being said, hollow notes have always been a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, but you're, you're spot on. This is a real fucking depressing song. So it got some great lyrics, but, uh, you know, if you want to lighten your mood, this is probably not the song, uh, to listen to. But again, again, we're talking about breakup songs here, Barry. Now at number eight, Barry, you like yourself a little pearl jam, do you, Bear? I do like a little pearl jam now and then. Yes. Yeah. Do you like a little pearl necklace? Uh, that's another story. Uh, number eight, it's pearl jam with black. Are you a fan? The lyrics, we were spread out before me as her body once did. Now the air I tasted and breathed has taken a turn. Eddie Vedder sings on the opening line of Black. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know what it is, too? It's, uh I think it's Eddie Vedder's voice. It's his vocal tones and quality that saved this, this song. It's a, it's a bit depressing, but then again, a lot of Pearl Jam songs are right They're They're kind of that there's a little darkness there, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I like this song. I, I, you know, yeah, I do. So, so I like this song, but how many guys when Pearl Jam first really kind of hit it big and, you know, they were part of that whole Northwest, whether it's Oregon, um, Washington, uh, you know, the, the, the stuff with Nirvana and all those guys that, uh, came out about that time period. How many singers tried to do an Eddie Vedder impression, you know? And I guess Eddie might have been doing Neil Young, who might have been doing somebody else, but it was just like Eddie Vedder emoting. And I know the guy, what was the guy's name? Uh, was it Scott Staff that was the lead singer for Creed? Yes. And everyone said he was doing a huge fucking Eddie Vedder impression. Uh, but, uh, no, I like Pearl, Pearl Jam and I, I like the song Black. All right. Thank you for that additional commentary. At number seven, Barry Rose. Are you still there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah, 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 I yeah. thought I'd lost you for a second. No. I thought maybe, I'm... Barry, I thought maybe your power went out. <clears throat> Another inside <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> number seven, a song with quite the legend about it, and it is by the Rolling Stones. It's Angie. So this is a good song. I, I think uh, much like what I just said when it came to Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam and that song, this is Mick Jagger. This is Mick Jagger's vocals right here. He does a great job. And if I'm correct, wasn't this song about Angie Bowie? Uh, well, according to this article, it is said that the, uh, the song is actually about his ex-girlfriend, Marianne Faithful. 
Oh, but you're you're right. Uh, that's what the article claims. But I have always heard that it was about uh, David Bowie's wife. And there's apparently a legend that part of the reason the song was written was because <clears throat> reportedly Angie may have caught uh, Mick and David uh, having a little fun together. That's all I'm going to say. Have you heard that story? Absolutely. Well, I heard. I mean, shit, we've all heard all these rumors, which go every single way, but that Angie actually caught Mick and Dave, David Bowie, in bed together, allegedly. In flagrante delectico, if you will. Yeah, and then uh, it, it sounds like between the three of them, everybody was with everybody is what it sounds like. But, uh, yeah, Angie Bowie. I, why would they? Why would the song be called Angie if it's about Mary Ann Faithful? I mean. Uh, well, why wouldn't it be called Marianne? That's there a very, go, good, right? yeah, very exactly. good point. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, the line with no loving in our souls and no money in our coats. You can't say we're satisfied. But Angie, I still love you, baby. It, it's a great fucking stone song. A little bit different because it's a, a very uh, like a ballad song, you know, not uh, kind of the classic rock that you associate with the stones. Number six, Barry, from uh, it's. The Big Lebowski's favorite group of all time, Eagles with Already Gone. Yeah, that's that's a I mean, I unlike Lebowski, I actually do like a lot of the Eagles songs. This one is uh, this one's kind of light to me. Is this this got to be early Eagles, too, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah, because they're like, there was, uh, I want to say like 74, 75 ish. Yeah, there was a definite change in the later years, the way that their music uh, was structured. But this one, I guess I like it because this is not a, a super, unlike She's Gone by Hall and Oates, which literally would, you'd be pulling a Lane Meyer, you know, going in the garage and standing on the garbage can. Better off dead reference right there. But I'm glad song, you're not referring it to, uh, to yourself. Uh, no, oh no, God no, no. I'm the opposite of uh, I'm a narcissist, so I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally different, Jeff. I hold a self-acknowledging narcissist. So the greatest narcissist ever. I'm a self-acknowledged narcissist, so certainly this song I actually certainly, certainly, certainly. Well, I'm putting that. That's going to be my new thing now as we as we transition from podcast onto radio. Shit, did I just say that, Jeff? <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, certainly this song is a lot more fun and nowhere near as utterly depressing as some of the other ones. So one of the things the article points out here, uh, again, from American songwriter, is that in lieu of, you know, the, the way that uh, some of the other songs that we mentioned have taken it, this song uh, done by Glenn Fry was about Glenn Fry being the one who chooses to leave, not being the one that's dumped on. He's sort of the dump E. Uh, the article says the song gives you the same rush as driving down the highway in the summer. The wind's down and not a care in your mind. If you're lucky enough to leave a relationship without any hard feelings, this is the song for you. All right, Barry, next up on number five, I got to be honest. Uh, my wife loves this group. We have seen them probably, God, almost five to ten times in concert, usually with somebody else. Uh, if you want to talk classic rock, Barry, uh, REO Speedwagon is there. Uh, I've said it before. One of the things my wife hates about REO Speedwagon, she's fine with the music. Kevin Cronin, when you see him in concert, that motherfucker loves to talk. That's all I'm going to say. And the song that we're talking about today at number five from REO Speedwagon, it's Time for Me to Fly, Barry. 
Yeah, that's not a bad song either because, first off, he does a really good job vocally on that song. You know, uh, everybody always seems to fixate. Nario Speedwagon, huge, you know, monster, making a lot of monster hits in the 80s, you know, probably starting off in the 70s. But I knew him from the 80s. But uh, Kevin Cronin, they, Ario became you know, the punchline to a lot of jokes. There was a period there. And even though there was a certain amount of popularity that they had, and they certainly were seeing success on charts there, a lot of their songs were similar. His vocal range was what his vocal range was. You know, it's, if if you heard an REO Speedwagon song and you didn't know who it was, you fucking knew who it was, right? Like you weren't going to get away from that. But much like the song that, you know, the Eagle song, Time for Me to Fly may be the best REO Speedwagon song that's out there. And it's not a, even though it's a breakup song, it's more of like, I'm an, I'm in an unhappy relationship and it, it is, it's time for me to fucking spread my wings. It's time for me to get out of here as opposed to I'm going to slit my wrists and get drunk every night for the next six months. So I kind of like this song. So one of the things the article does mention is, it discusses uh, escaping a toxic relationship. Uh, who amongst us haven't been there before? Uh, and the opening line to the songs, I make you laugh and you make me cry. I believe it's time for me to fly. That's that's a great opening, uh, you know, segment of a song. Uh, the song is for those bittersweet breakups when you know it's the right thing to do, but you're having trouble walking out the door. Holy shit, Barry. I don't know about you, but I have been there before, my man. Oh, yeah, certainly. I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a revolving door sometimes. Yet, but <laughs> I've been there as well. I'm so, and not I, gonna I say think, anything. Yeah, but I think at our age too, and I, I think, uh, you know, even though we have listeners that are younger, and I probably the majority are younger, but I think everybody's been through breakup, and everybody has, in most cases, I, you know, certainly there's going to be exceptions, but in most cases, I think everybody's been on either side of the fence as well. People have been the break-uppers and the break et cetera, so I can relate. Uh, you know, the thing is, though, uh, not to get to, too esoteric here, Barry, but oh. having been on both sides of the coin and you feel like complete shit uh, when you're the person that's been dumped on and, you know, you're like, what the fuck? But then when you're on the opposite side, when you're the person that dumps somebody, because I've been in that position, too, it's like you sit there and you start questioning yourself. Ah, man, was I an asshole for doing that? Uh, you know, no matter how bad the situation was, uh, you know, because the situation I'm thinking of, it was a bad situation I needed to get out of. But at the same you know, point, I'm like, you know, did I do did I behave badly? Should I have handled it a different way? Should I have let them down easier? Should I have just, you know, cut the cord and damn, fuck you, goodbye? You know, you always leave yourself questioning when you end that kind of relationship, Barry. You do. And it's, uh, you know, you, you're going to second guess yourself a lot. You know, I, I've certainly at my age had a few, quite a few relationships and there have been times and it's never almost immediate for me uh it would always come down the road a month later two months later and you go did i make the right decision should i have done this and do you know and the truth is i'm i'm at such a as you are i'm at such a great place in my life i'm very comfortable with my decisions and uh you know i'm in a stable as stable as i can be a stable relationship which is a good thing and uh yeah i i understand 
So at number four, Barry, boy, whenever they do those, you know, classic rock top 500 list, not that we've ever done those, of course, Barry, uh, but whenever you look at those always seemingly near the top of the friggin' list, good Lord, Barry, how many times would this song come on the radio back in the day? It's the boys from Jersey, Bon Jovi with You Give Love a Bad Name. Yeah, is that, that's really a breakup song? Yeah, well, <laughs> shot through the heart and you're to blame. Yeah, you well, give yeah. love a bad name. Yeah, yeah, I think so, Barry. I guess, yeah, yeah, it, it would be. Uh, I guess, you know, and I don't love Bon Jovi by any stretch. I, uh, you know, I, I, I just spoke I to him. He told me to tell you to go fuck yourself. Which, and you that, know, he wouldn't be the first person within the, this last hour to tell me that. <laughs> he, uh, I, I'm not a big Bon Jovi. That was fan. off air, Barry, please. Oh, you're right. That wasn't on air. But, but with that, uh, I guess. As far as a breakup song, I like it because it's catchy. It, there's, you know, it's a little fun. It's, uh, yeah, I'm okay with this one. I like this one. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, by the way, I, I always love, uh, seeing the memes that are out there that, uh, that Bon Jovi, who had the big hair, you know, during the late eighties, early nineties and was this, you know, a classic rock sex symbol. And now you look at the guy now, his hair is almost completely white. And the joke is he looks like some sort of, uh, a middle-aged tennis player on the, uh, on the uh, LPGA tour or something like that. It's it's kind of funny because he really has completely changed his, his appearance, but he's still out there on fucking tour occasionally. But uh, anyway, number three, Barry, it's everyone's favorite female classic rock woman that spits on stage, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I hate myself for loving you. How many times has a well. woman told Barry Rose that? I hate myself for loving Again, you. today. Today. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fun one, too. It was kind of a rock anthem back in the early 80s and the beginning days of MTV, if I remember correctly. And, uh, yeah, it's a breakup song, but it's a pop song. I like this one, Jeff. Big thumbs up. Joan sings, I want to see you begging. Say forget it just for spite. I think of you every night and day. You took my heart and you took my pride away. Jet, uh, Joan Jetta, also one of those people that's still out there on tour. You, you yes. see her, you know, usually, uh, she's, uh, in some sort of like lineup where it's like her and maybe two other bands or something like that. But yeah, she's, God bless her. She, uh, you know, she's no one hit wonder that she could have been, you know, she's not. And I've seen her, I guess over the last decade, I think I've seen her twice. I think total in total, I've seen her at least three times. I saw her, and it's funny you say that she's almost always the supporting act. I saw her with The Who in Atlantic City, and then I saw her with the B-52s in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Nice. Yeah. Number two, Barry, it's everyone's classic rock go-to, especially when you're on a date that you're going to a German restaurant that's not too far from the Ridgemont Mall. <laughs> it's Led Zeppelin, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. Yeah, this it's, you know, right? Good rock song here. I do like Zeppelin. I, a I'm not softer a, side of Led Zeppelin, if you will. Babe, yeah, and uh, I think you... Really, Robert Plant does such a great job on this song, too. Uh, you know, he was such an amazing vocalist, and certainly over the last few decades, people have really given him props. Sadly, I know, you know, it, with age, he can't hit a lot of those notes, but he was really an underrated vocalist. This is an excellent song. Number one, Barry. Boy, is there a fucking story behind this one. Uh-oh. 
And I have read uh, the Stevie Nicks biography, Goldust Woman. Uh, this song was allegedly written about Stevie. It's Lindsey Buckingham's uh, tune about their breakup from Fleetwood Mac. It's Go Your Own Way. Great song, too. And, uh, you know, I, I, Fleetwood Mac to me, it's hit or miss. I, everybody, you know, a lot of everybody seems to love them and I, I like them. I, I don't love all the stuff that they did, but, uh, this is a fun, catchy song. And th- this would be the song, like, you know, the truth is, like, again, I'll go back to that Hall and Oates song, right? My God, it's fucking depressing. Start to finish, that is the most depressing song ever, but it, you know, I had my heart broken. I was 18 years old and, uh, what was her I, name? Her name was Andrea. Andrea. And I was very, and I think I mentioned, I was very. Is she a listener? She, <laughs> does, she, does she live in Panama? Double fingers to Andrea right now. Uh, if she is, no, no, we we actually were on friendly, uh, friendly terms, you know, after that, probably within, I think two years later, a year and a half later, it wasn't friendly right at the beginning, but my heart was broken. I was very confused. I don't think I understood what was really going on. And, uh, you know, if, if I had surrounded myself with these really fucking depressing breakup songs, Lord knows, Lord knows what would have happened. Right. But I, I chose not to do that. Like, uh, I think I listened to Jesse's girl on endless loop for like two months. But th- this is th- my Jesse point. Jesse is a friend. Always been a good friend of mine. I will never disparage Rick Springfield because Rick Springfield is a huge dog person. Is and he really? Yeah. Whenever he does, he you know he does a show every weekend on uh, Sirius, usually before the uh, the eighties countdown. And one of the things he always says is like, uh, "Kiss your mom or hug your mom and, and kiss your dog." It's a, whichever way it is. But but he always mentions uh, his dog and how much he loves his dog. So well, then he's aces with me too. Yeah, not not going to shit on Rick Springfield. He, so uh, I saw him in concert too. I saw him. Shit would have been eighty three, eighty two or eighty three. So it, it wasn't too, it was, I guess, right after the whole Jesse's girl and he had a, I mean, he had a huge string of hits. So imagine this one. We, uh, it was me and three of my friends, all guys, and we go to the Rick Springfield concert, which is probably 95% female. Not that there's anything wrong with that, Barry. Go ahead. No, just the opposite. And <laughs> my, my one friend says, wow, we're going to, we're going to get laid tonight. None of us got laid that night. So we, clearly we should put that out there. But my one friend looks at Rick Springfield and goes, God, what a waste of a dick. And, uh, it was really fun. But <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but it's I don't funny. really know what it means either, but it just always stuck with me. But it was, I guess because I, I think he was married at the time or something, but you know, Rick Springfield in his heyday, women were fucking throwing their panties and their complete nude bodies in front of him. Here was a guy that had, had number one singles, number one albums was on a soap opera and Rick Springfield was pretty fucking handsome as well. So, uh, Rick Springfield was the guy, right? But again, here you got four guys who enjoyed Rick Springfield, but we were looking to pick up women. We all went home empty that night as usual. So getting back to the Stevie and Lindsay angst here, uh, go your own way. Of course, with the famous line, packing up, shacking up is all you want to do. Uh, Stevie was, uh, once quoted as saying, I very much resented him telling the world that packing up, shacking up with different men was all I wanted to do. He knew it wasn't true. It was just an angry thing. He said, we all have been guilty of saying out of turn things 
mid-breakup. It's just that most of us don't document those thoughts on a timeless album for the world to listen to for decades on end. So it led me to wonder, Barry, imagine if you're Stevie Nicks, okay, like maybe throw on a little you know, one of those uh, big hats and uh, put sure. on some heels and dance around in a circle, Barry. But think about the fact that this man has written this song about basically what a complete bitch you are for breaking his heart because you're cheating with all these different men. And you've got to go sing those background vocals every fucking night on the tour. Oh, man, what a kick to the crotch that must have been. Yeah, well, they always say, you know, you don't, uh, don't shit where you eat, et cetera. Don't fuck the people you work with. Uh, and the restaurant business, which I was involved with is notorious. Uh, and I certainly did that you know, more than once as well. It, it, it never ends well. Uh, if it does, good luck. But imagine that. Imagine having to sing those lyrics. Imagine, uh, having to, you know, be on stage. And I don't think there was a lot of, socializing off stage after they broke up, if I'm correct. I, I think the animosity was there, but uh everything I've read about Lindsey Buckingham as as you have is a huge fucking tool bag. Yeah, I, I mean I will say very, very good guitarist. I mean he's really good. Uh but everything I've heard is a complete dick. Uh very controlling, especially over uh over Stevie. Uh, but, uh, you know, what they did was they almost part of what made the band so successful. They would do this like tit for tat. He would write a song about her. Then she would write a song about him. Their song Silver Springs is basically her coming back saying, yeah, you had your chance with me and you fucked it over, buddy. So, you know, go fuck yourself. And uh, she did it in a very nice, uh, sultry way. Uh, we all should be so lucky as to have that done. Yeah, I'm sure, Barry. Right. Yeah. All right, Barry, about ready to turn the corner and head for home. Another fun-filled episode. Barry, we offer so much. We got some rapid fire. We've got some Florida man. We've got some AEW discussion. We got uh, top 10 classic rock breakup songs, plus a match of the week. Whoo, Barry, I'm at the finish line, and I am winded but need a cigarette. What about you, my man? I'm already lying down flat. I'm already prostrate because uh, this – Well, this I don't want to talk about your prost- oh, prostrate. I'm prostrate. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also it's a uh, great. Hey, well, what is uh, – where are we at now? Is it, uh, what, eight more episodes? 291. So, yes, we are getting – near the sad, sad, bitter end of Breaking Cave The regular weekly episode, once again, oh. may I mention, Barry, we are still going to be available on Patreon. Uh, $5 a month gets you two jam-packed episodes per month. That will be extended, elongated, tug, tug, stretch, stretch, a little bit longer than usual, Barry. That you can, plus you can get all those back episodes. You know, you can get some of the interviews we've done with guests. You can get, you can get Barry Rose. Don't forget, you can get the greatest story ever told. Oh, that we did as a patriot. Do you remember that story, Barry? Oh yeah, I remember. Oh that yeah, story. I remember that episode. That is a yeah, the 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 disillusion of Mister Bowdrin's romantic <laughs> situation and all the drama that ensued uh, then, but anyway. not for the faint hearted either. Well, no, not at my, not uh, at that point. And certainly something I wouldn't want to go through again. Uh, on that note, I will remind you that breaking cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. I will remind you that my name is the booker. That's what they call me sometimes. Uh, and uh, my co-host 
is Barry Rose. Barry Rose, before we go, one last thing. And, of course, Luke Kippelman on the production duties. Always appreciate you, buddy. But we are getting close to another uh, certain event coming up in Lutz, Florida. Are we not, Barry Rose? We are. We are. Uh, shit, we're about three and a half weeks away at this stage. So Getting close. Is it has been a challenge this last <laughs> manifest, which is the nicest well, was way that I an can put it. Exasperated sigh. I heard it was. It was because every day there there is a new challenge that presents itself. But uh, would you I like to identify have, the challenge? In, no, never mind. Oh my god! But with it, I think we have uh, put all the pieces into place. I'm very excited about Baron von Raschke. You know, as Baron gets up there, and I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and we were talking about how many guys from the old territories, the 70s, are still out there and still making the rounds. And it, the truth is that number is very small, and the number gets smaller every day. So Baron Von Raschke, I believe he is 83. He's either 82 becoming 83 or 83 becoming 84 and still very lucid, still has a great sense of humor and he's in great shape. So I'm, I'm so excited that we're able to, to have this with uh, the legends, but and, challenges. And let, let me just, let me just, before you get to challenges, Barry, I will tell people that don't know this. Baron von Raschke, when he was just plain old Jim Raschke was a guy who uh, I believe wrestled for the army in different uh, wrestling events to the point where I believe he was a candidate to be on the Olympic team in 64 and ended up, I want to say tearing up a knee right before the Olympic game. So he couldn't go. So this was not just a guy that was a pro wrestling gimmick. This is a guy that had some legitimate wrestling credentials. And when I had a chance to have dinner with him, the last dinner, by the way, Barry, <clears throat> that's oh. another story. Uh, I was pretty amazed by that, that the fact that, you know, this wasn't just some guy that came off the streets, uh, was a big tall guy, had a certain look to him and okay, we'll make him a German. Uh, no, this guy had legitimate, legitimate amateur background that was very, very impressive. Now, Barry, please go on with your I challenges. I think he, if I'm correct too, I think he went to the University of Nebraska, was an AAU champion, but he did. He had really strong amateur credentials and, uh, I believe he's somehow, I don't know if he, I don't, I guess he's not involved, but he, he, he follows. He's, he may be an alumni that he's on a board, but he's somehow still involved in some way with amateur wrestling. So here was a guy too. I mean, there was a guy that essentially had these really strong amateur credentials. Went to Vern. Vern trained him, also used him as a referee, and he was Jim Raschke for a while. And it wasn't until he became Baron Von Raschke, the hated German heel, that this guy's career took off. And truthfully, you know, Baron was a top guy everywhere he went, and he was all over the country. We saw him in Florida. We, you know, Georgia heavyweight champion, Florida TV champion, Mid-Atlantic, he was uh, held titles, tag titles and singles titles. The last guy to face Bruno. Bruno's biggest challenge before Bruno wound up losing to superstar Billy Graham. Obviously, a lot of time in the AWA and the WWA where he's from. So what a career. So I'm actually I'm really excited. You know, that the whole Ken Patera thing bummed me when I first found out. And I'm like, fuck, really? Because I had planned this whole Super Bowl of wrestling card around that. Still going to do it because we still have four participants. But getting Baron really really was a lifesaver, and I'm super excited about it, Jeff. All right. On that note, 
Uh, I've already done the breaking kayfabe thing. We will see you next week. Gunny, I love you, buddy, and I miss you every, every day. Love you so much. And on that note, uh, we will see you next week, next week on Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Bear. Check us out.